passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Joining us today on Post Wrestling, he is an author and a historian who has done previous work covering the history of the NWA, the Capital Wrestling Corporation, Buddy Rogers, and his latest book is The Last Real World Champion, The Legacy of Nature Boy Ric Flair. It is a pleasure to say hello to Tim Hornbaker, who is on the program. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So I want to start off with some process questions. Take us back to some of the embryonic stages of the Ric Flair book. And now that you're several books deep, what is your internal checklist that have to be met for you to dedicate such a huge amount of time to such a project like this? Absolutely. Uh, starting a project like this, I know that I have tremendous work ahead of me. I know it's probably going to take uh, one, two, or maybe three years to complete. So I have to start somewhere. And I think just once I had that idea in my head, getting the ball rolling and just diving into the research, collecting information, and, and trying to keep it organized. There's such a volume of information on Flair already out there. He's written two uh, autobiographies. There's so many documentaries on him, mainstream documentaries. So there, I knew that there was going to be a wealth of information to gather and collect. It was just a matter of sorting it, getting it organized, and then doing my own individual research to see what I could either add to clarify stories or expand on them and make my, my biography on Flair uh, come to life. And it definitely was a challenging, uh, I would say, process and uh, overall project. And uh, But it definitely was a lot of fun to work on and, and write. The last book you put out was Buddy Rogers a couple of years ago. Did you go from that book right into Ric Flair? Or was there some overlap between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, we got the... The Buddy Rogers book uh, went into editing, and then I think it came out around 2020, and it pretty much was right around that same time that I already was doing preliminary research on Ric Flair, just gathering notes and trying to get things organized. Like I said, with such a with a person that's been in the public eye for 50 years, it's just a matter of collecting the information and making sure that you have as much a uh, uh, much as possible on the person and. That was what I needed to do early on, to, in, to even to convince myself that I could even, could even write this book. I wanted to make sure that I could gather as much information as I could and then keep it in a way where I can put it into a, a, a flowing narrative that made sense and then also include new information that I found along the way. Tell me a little bit about the major differences when it comes to doing a real deep look at a singular subject like a Ric Flair or Buddy Rogers compared to your first book in 2007, where you are going into the entire history of the NWA? Yeah, that's a great question. I think each project is different, but I definitely think there is a 
a separation between writing about an organization and then writing about uh, an individual. And I think when you write about an individual, you really have to hone in on that one single person. While with an organization, you're looking at major events, uh, a range of individuals. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more that goes into that. I think when you when you settle down and work on a select biography, uh, while you still are covering organizations and major events that are playing in the the wider uh, scale there, and the wider scope, uh, you do have to kind of really focus on the individual and go through the life uh, professionally and uh, personally. And for me, again, with such a volume of information on Flair, I, I had to. Uh, really try to hone in on certain events to uh, put into this book and make sure that it, it uh, flowed in a good way. And then, uh, of course, trying to find new information to to provide to wrestling fans and readers. I'm curious for the listeners out there, what is the feeling like when you are diving deep into a really well-known historical figure like a Ric Flair. You've also done a book on Ty Cobb, so maybe there's some crossover there, where you discover a new piece of information that perhaps goes against what the prevailing thought had been. And sometimes there are urban legends that develop and stories with these figures that seem to take on a life of their own, and sometimes research can contradict that. Oh, I, I love that perspective because, yes, uh, the myths that surround some of these greater than life uh, figures that we've, you know, followed and, and heard about and read about and studied Ty Cobb and uh, these f folklore figures. And then you get to Ric Flair. He's, he's right up there with them where there's been stories about, uh, and I'll give you an example of Flair's professional debut. You know, there's always been stories about his debut and uh, it, uh, the story was it occurred on December 10th, uh, 1972. And uh, it was for me, that was one of the things that I really wanted to focus on and to, to you know, get details about it. Come to find out, uh, it doesn't appear that he did make his debut on that date. And uh, so clarifying in the book, uh, one of the myths about Flair and the same with Cobb. And, and like you said, you know, digging into the research and putting in all that time and finding something that maybe contradicts something that has been passed along for so many years and even decades to find something that clarifies a story was always some, uh, it was always a big moment for me. And that's always something that I, I, I strive to achieve with my books for sure. And I'm assuming that this one might've been the hardest subject just to nail down the actual birth name of, you know, that was, that was always something that was a challenge. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will give you that. Yeah. This book was definitely gave me a lot of curveballs and, uh, but yeah, I definitely agree with you. And, uh, you know, overall I would say though, you know, the, the flair story as, as you know, you know, was, was, it is a fascinating story. And, you know, it's just one of those things where as a historian and someone who loves the research, I just dove in and, and just enjoyed every minute of it. On the research side of things, what are some of your uh, tools in the modern age that best assist you? And contrast that to 2007 when you were researching the NWA book and how that the research process has evolved over all of these years. That's a great question. I think we are definitely in a I, I want to say that the last 20 years, we've been in a golden age for wrestling research. And I think. Uh, between the information that has come out, the various archives that have presented themselves, 
and uh, the 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 newspapers that are more available. I, I think we are definitely seeing the the height of uh, of wrestling research and wrestling uh, books that are that are available. And I think a lot of great researchers and historians are really coming through with stories that couldn't couldn't have been told 20, 30 years ago. So I think we are in a, a great place right now. And I'll say personally, with um, you know, I for my NWA book, I was able to access the Department of Justice uh, investigation into the, the organization, and that was a huge archive. And since then, uh, what I call the Sam Muchnick archive has come to light. And of course, you have the Pfeffer collection at Notre Dame. So for for anybody that's interested in, in wrestling history, there is this intent and this amazing primary source documentation out there. And I'm hoping in the years to come, new archives will come to the surface and we'll even have more to to build upon. And what's the process like for that? Just first of all, finding out if it exists and then actually obtaining it. Could that be a several year long process? It could. It could. I mean, it just depends on what you're, you're actually getting at that point. I mean, with the uh, the Munchnik collection, uh, it was uh, was just a matter of me getting the material because it had passed through several different historians, and I uh, finally got had gotten it, and then it was just a matter of going through it. And I'll tell you, John, it, it, this was several years after I had done my NWA book, and had I had the this material when I wrote my NWA book, uh, I think that would have assisted in a, in a great a great deal. Uh, but even now, you know, having access to this material and the Pfeffer collection, and and there's the Stu Hart uh, collection up in Calgary. There's just so much out there now, and as I said, I mean, I know that there's more history out there. I think there's families that are probably sitting on wealth of, of documentation, and but I, I, on the other hand, uh, I will say that I know that there are families that did throw away a lot of stuff as well. So I think historians and researchers are are just hoping that there will be more to come, and we're just uh, we're we're living in the moment and creating the best uh, projects that we we can. Yeah, there's a PSA out there for all wrestlers and promoters. Don't ever throw anything out. There's always a, there's, there's always a usage for it. Send it to Tim. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So uh, one, one aspect I wanted to get your thoughts on, and it's more just a general overall question. We're seeing, you know, with just such a proliferation of sports documentaries, a common thread is that the central figure has some involvement and, and thus, you know, it, it's going to, I think, at times slant the view somewhat. You have a book here that did not have participation from Ric Flair. And I view that as quite a strong positive, to be quite honest. I'm more intrigued by a third party that is documenting these figures. But what, what are, what are the pros and cons that if you had a Ric Flair on board versus you're telling this from your perspective and it's not going to be muddied with any compromise? Oh, yeah, that's a that's an important question, and I think that's a distinction that we had to make early on between me and the publishing house to decide whether or not we were going to try to uh, inquire to Flair to to get some questions answered and any and any of that any kind of assistance. Uh, I think at, at early on we decided that we wanted this to be an independent book. Flair has uh, written two books. He's had uh, he's participated in documentaries and he's. Uh, been on podcasts, endless uh, number of interviews. So we, we felt that we were going to take this from an independent point of view, a historical point of view, and let the history speak for itself without any kind of opinions or uh, bias or anything like that. We just wanted the facts to speak for itself. And that was my mission from day one. I think, you know, you, you say the pros and cons. I think 
definitely the pro of that for me is to, yes, to let the history speak for itself. And that's what we achieved. I think that had we had uh, flair, uh, a- you know, answer certain questions or be involved, involved to a certain extent, I think, you know, certain things might have uh, come to light knowing what I, I found. And I, maybe if I was able to ask specific questions, I think that would have been interesting to have that. But overall, I think we created a book that I think for history's sake, for future history, uh, historians and researchers, for present day fans, for just the casual fans, I think this book is strong enough to tell Flair's story in an independent point of view, from an independent point of view, and give you what you need to know and make it an, an enjoyable ride. For many people that are listening to this, they're probably familiar with Ric Flair from Jim Crockett promotions onward, but there's so much to Ric Flair pre-1981, and there's a huge focus of that in the book. Number one, was that an area that you thought was most ripe for new information to report on, and was that also an era that you found uh, most intriguing for Ric Flair? Yeah, definitely. I think that I, I wanted to include a fair amount of information on his early days to to set the table for what was to come. I mean, we we yes, we have heard a lot about his times in the WWE and WCW. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to definitely set the stage as he worked his way through the AWA, uh, you know, the people he met, the people he was influenced by, and then the early stages of pre-Nature Boy Ric Flair in the Mid-Atlantic region as well. So all of that backstory and history I felt needed a proper needed proper space to tell the, the complete story and to give readers a, uh, a, a better perspective on what Flair's background was once he broke into the business. So in the midst of researching and writing the book is the Plane Ride from Hell episode on Dark Side of the Ring that premiered in 2021. Tell me about your reaction to that story and how you balanced new reporting that was coming out uh, after this story resurfaced and how it intertwined with the ongoing book project. Absolutely. That that was a major moment. And uh, I definitely had to take pause because, uh, it, you know, it is it, I, I always say that the plane ride from hell was a a, a tremendous dark moment for wrestling. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That whole situation was just out of control. And uh, the, the stories about it are hellish in itself. So I, I knew that that was going to be something I needed to, to focus on, at least put it in perspective. But again, uh, you know, the things in, in Flair's uh, personal life, and this was a wrestling-related incident, but it wasn't a in-the-ring incident. It wasn't uh, a divorce or something. But this, so I, I would say... I had to approach all of the things that were in his private life, even this, with a certain amount of perspective. And I wanted to keep it historical without any of my opinions. I wanted to give readers a chance to have the information and then decide for themselves. But yeah, definitely with the 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 uh, the attention on the plane ride from hell, it was something that I had to take a pause and ensure. And I discussed this with my publisher to to have the information. That we needed to have, give readers what they needed to know, but uh, you know we also wanted to keep the 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 book flowing at that point to to continue on with the story. So there's the process of completing the book, and you've got that period where you're waiting to release your work to the public, and now you're in the area of selling the book and getting out there. Tell me a bit about uh, 
promoting the book? Uh, because it does seem like this is a project that you are out promoting a lot more than other prior releases of yours. You're right, John. You're yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I, I've this is a project that really took a, a lot of time for me. It's a, a book that I put a lot into. Uh, it, it coincided with some uh, personal struggles that I've had, uh, a little bit of a health problem. Uh, but for me, I'm 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 doing better. I'm feeling better, and I want to share this book with with wrestling fans and readers. I want to talk about it. I want to address any. Uh, topics and to put forth, uh, you know, what, what I've actually done. And the book is out there. I want to talk about it. I want to, uh, you know, uh, give, give people the perspective they need because I, I feel like, yeah, there is a lot of on there on flair. And I've, you know, uh, as a historian and as someone who, you know, uh, puts a lot into his books, uh, I wanted to ensure that people knew where this was coming from and it wasn't going to be a, you know, a sensationalized uh, version of Flair's life. This is a historical book, and uh, I'm very proud of it. And, yeah, and it's definitely been a, a stressful time. You know, when a book comes out, you, you know, you put so many years into something and then you go through the editing process. When a book comes out, you know, it's a, it's a matter of being excited, but there also is a uh, apprehension, a, a stress, uh, you know, a stressful time. So that's definitely something I'm dealing with, John, and I, I'm just taking it one day at a time. Well, number one, I'm glad to hear. I, I hope your your health issues are um, not 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 too severe, and wishing you all, all the best in in that regard. When Thank it you. when it comes to like you, you've put out a lot of books now, and they have come out to critical acclaim among those that have sought out your books. How do you define success for a book? Is it just strictly down to sales, or does it go deeper for that for you in terms of what you are contributing to just the perspective of wrestling history that has, you know, you have become a large part of telling that story? That's a great question. I, uh, I, it's never only about sales. Of course, sales matters when you want to have career progression and you want to continue your career with, you know, especially with a, with a, with a publishing house. Sales matter, but to me, of course, contributing to wrestling history, putting out a book like this and any of my previous works, you know, uh, giving it to the public and sharing it with uh, with just the casual readers or someone who's going to take it deeper and someone's going to value it as a, a reference tool and, and maybe build upon it one day. I, I love that idea. I love that concept. I think when I, 20 years ago, when I was working on my NWA book, I sought out every resource I could possibly get my hands on. And if there were books then, you know, biographies on uh, Andre the Giant and uh, the Sheik, some of these great books that great historians have written, uh, they were avi- uh, available 20 years ago. I mean, w- we would have been in seventh heaven. But I think at the same time, we were constantly building on things. You know, I was building on the work of Steve Yohe and J. Michael Kenyon and Don Luce, these great historians, and I wanted to take their research and build upon it. And I hope that uh, future historians and researchers will find my works, utilize them as reference tools, and then produce the, the next generation of amazing wrestling material. And what is it specific with regards to ECW Press when it comes to their impact and green lighting and pushing so many wrestling books over the years? I think ECW Press was on the ground floor of publishing wrestling books. I mean, we're looking back at the history of the, the wrestling book boom, Mick Foley changed everything for everyone, of course. We all know that. 
But ECW was right there at the right time with Greg Oliver and Steve Johnson. And then they took a chance on Tim Hornbaker and, uh, you know, greenlighted a, a book, on, a, a major book on the NWA. And I had never written anything at the time. I, I think they've been willing to accept ideas and they've been open-minded to concepts and, and projects and really have just pushed forth a lot of great, unbelievable talents to create books that that probably would never have been published otherwise. I mean, my NWA book probably would not have been published anywhere else other than ECW Press. So Michael Holmes and everyone at ECW has done a fantastic job just giving confidence to uh, historians and researchers, uh, putting faith in them, and then watching what they can do. And all of these guys, men and women, have produced incredible books for them, and I hope to see it continue. I know that Jeff Perlman, who's written a, a ton of uh, biographies over the years, has spoken about covering a subject and wanting to do such a definitive job that the next person wouldn't even think of trying to tackle it because the ultimate book has been written on that person. Do you at all go in with that similar mindset or do you kind of approach these with a bit less bravado than that? I, I like the concept and the idea of that, but I definitely don't think that I've had that mentality. I think that, um, I think that things can be improved. I mean, I'm not going to say that uh, my books are the end all be all. I'm very proud of the work I've done. I will say from this perspective that information is always coming out and maybe with certain subject matter, that maybe you do get to the end of the line. You know, you write about a president, you know, John Adams or something, and, you know, there's only so much information that's ever going to come out about that individual. Uh, maybe, you know, with Ty Cobb, we're, we're at the, the, the almost to the, to the depths of what we can put in a book about Ty Cobb. I think there's other individuals where uh, maybe new information does come out somehow, and you can update it and, and create a more definitive uh, book. Uh, I do like that idea. I do like the idea of building upon things and, and having a piece of the overall puzzle. So uh, I'll never say that my books are the definitive. I'd like to think that I am creating something special that people will appreciate. Uh, I, I, you never know. You know, and you know, this even take this a step further with my NWA book, for sure, number one uh, uh, with an with a exclamation point. That is definitely a book that I know can be done better, and I would love to actually one day – sit down and create a more definitive book on the NWA. I just don't know if that will ever happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm certainly not the only one to state this, but when you look at a subject like a Ric Flair and especially the NWA, like forget a movie, any of these subjects, they could be multiple seasons of television shows that you could get out of these, like especially the NWA. It seems that there's such a appetite for professional wrestling in that medium. And the story of the NWA lends itself uh, to that format. It seems so well. I would love for someone to come along, be motivated, and I would love to contribute to such a project. I, I, I feel the same way you do. I think that that is something that could be done and presented if done in the right way and treating wrestling with respect and doing it According to history, I think uh, it would be a fascinating thing, and I think it would bring that entire story to life, for sure. My last one here for you, just to throw out. What was the last book you read that, it doesn't have to be wrestling, but you finished it, and you enjoyed it so much, and your reaction was, damn, I wish I did this one. 
Wow, that is an amazing question. Uh, I'd have to think about that one a little bit. Um, I, you know, to be honest, I, I haven't read any good books lately, you know, and uh, I know that there are some subject matters that I would love to have done. I mean, we're just right off. I mean, as a as a sports fan, I mean, uh, I think there was uh, there, I think was it Jeff Perlman that did the Bo Jackson yes. book recently? Yes, yes, yes. I you know, and I've heard about that. I w- wanted to read that book. It's really good. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. So something like that, of course, you know, if you can get down and dirty and really get in and tell a story like that, I think, of course, that would have been something that would have, you know, blown my mind in doing. But I, I think Jeff Perlman probably is the only guy that can probably get a book like that done nowadays with, you know, certain connections and whatnot. But, uh, you know, of course, there are, are ideas and concepts you see that would have been uh, that would that would be something fascinating. And, you know, Michael Jordan or something. You know, but, uh, you know, I, I guess as, uh, you know, someone who enjoys professional wrestling, I, you know, I get a, I, even baseball, you know, I, I'm, I'm staying in my lane as it is right this minute. But, of course, if there was a opportunity to do something like that, I, I would love to do it. Well, the book is out now, The Last Real World Champion, The Legacy of Nature Boy Ric Flair. It's available through ECW Press. And I'll also give people the alert, if you're not already following him, to follow uh, Tim Hornbaker on Twitter, or X, as we should uh, now uh, deem it, uh, because he's been throwing out all these uh, artifacts from his research into Ric Flair that is uh, a real cool uh, add-on. So, uh, Tim, I want to thank you very much for joining us, and uh, all the best on the continued uh, media blitz uh, that you are on. I, I highly recommend the book for people to check it out, and I hope that uh, they go down a rabbit hole and check out some of your other work because it's, it's really essential stuff if you want to be learning the history of the industry, which is it's a fascinating industry to discover. Absolutely, John. It's been a pleasure, and I, I really appreciate everything you've done and uh, all your words, and thank you very much. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc